Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. This is episode 301. We are not dead yet. <laughs> Just you give it a, I don't know, 30, 40 more years, maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I want to actually retire someday. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be... Um... You know how it's always like in those cop movies where it's like the old cop is like, I was one day from retirement and then they die. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. That, that trope. It's like the engineer. I was one day from like being retired and then you get a new problem. So you have to like stay on and keep solving that problem. Engineers never stop, do they? No, no, we never actually. Do. OK, um, before we get into it, let's let's do a quick tangent. Um we were already tangenting. I know, I know. This is great. <laughs> I was going to ask this question a, a while ago. How how much in a week outside of your day job as an engineer do you think you do engineering? How many hours do you think you do engineering outside of your engineering day job? How many hours are in a week? <laughs> Not enough, right? Is it's, it's like well, it's 40 is work. What's in yeah. a week? 7 times 24. I'm math hard. Yeah. Yeah, here, let me do it for you. Uh, 168. So, uh, 128 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, from the second you wake up, you just, no, I'm, you're I'm, on it. I'm, I dream it. You dream- <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking about that the other day because I was... Um, I dream in Autodesk Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> I came home from work and, uh, you know, said hello to the wife, pet the dog, walked right down to the basement and then fired up schematic editor and just started started going for it and I, was, I was thinking about that i was like i wonder how many hours outside of work that i do things that are basically the same thing as work yeah well it's convenient when they are the same when you enjoy it oh it should say that because yeah. if you didn't enjoy it you wouldn't go down to your lair and do it well and and i suppose you know our work is perhaps a little bit different because uh you know it's we're not like structural engineers that are making bridges or anything like that because like Probably not something you're going to do outside of work, right? Uh, but with with I our kind designing of designing it. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess if you would, you could just make the argument, and then that's just your day job. I, I guess I'm saying like extracurricular engineering. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know. So we never we never <laughs> flip it off. I guess is what I'm saying there. Yeah, there are some engineers I met that are that can just they just turn it off. Um. I'm not that kind of person, though. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I, it, honestly, with this kind of mindset, it's really hard uh, going to sleep for me sometimes because I will just sit there and just dwell on things. Yep, I do the same thing. Yeah. I have this thing where, like, it's really hard for me to, like, not do anything. I want to know um, how many people out there can you just not do anything? And I include watching meaningless TVs doing nothing like what like if you watch a movie and you're actively watching the movie you're doing something you're 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 thinking about the movie right there's some people that like will turn on ancient aliens on tv you're not doing anything watching ancient aliens on tv i don't know that sounds like (laughs) just your opinion dude (laughs) just be my opinion (laughs) (laughs) no i mean Um, some okay so on occasion i'll just go to youtube and let it roll on just garbage and I'll just zone out. And uh, so that that is doing fun. nothing. Yeah, but it's that, fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I want to know is how many people 
when I've tried to do that, my brain is like, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go in the garage and like do something for some stupid. It'd be like three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I need to like tighten a bolt or something on the Jeep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you. So I that. either need to go to bed or like I will be in the garage like five o'clock in the morning. I I think it's sort of in a way there's there's a uh, an analogous idea like even if you have your car or say a machine at work or something like that say you have it running perfectly like do you ever really stop like messing with it and and for me the answer is no like I can still have something working perfectly and I'll be looking at it critically being like I could probably adjust this one thing and I bet you I could save five minutes on a 12 hour run or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm always thinking about that. It never leaves. And it's, it's sometimes that mindset's exhausting. Very, very. It keeps me up way longer than I would like it to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, when I know I have, I know what my starting thing starting position on a project is and i know what my ending position is but i don't know how to connect those two that's what kills me that's what'll keep me up at night before going to bed where i'm just i'm sitting there i'm just like i cannot connect the dots and this is killing me <laughs> yeah i'd be really interested to see how many of our listeners are can just like veg yeah 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no, actually, I think it. I think it's really healthy to do that. On I, I think so too. It's, it's it's like meditation almost. Um, like uh, like how when we were, when I was at your house and we like put on YouTube, like yeah. we were actively like watching and critically analyzing like this person who's like rebuilding a a bench vice. Or oh my like god, that. aren't those the best videos ever? Like those videos that are just like. They're not even, they don't even have like much audio on it. It's just somebody restoring some old piece of machinery or something. Those are amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's go ahead and use this as a segue. There's a topic I wanted to chat about. Uh, and uh, we had it down the list. I'm going to move it for, uh, forward just because this tangent sort of work to- works towards it. So the, the, the uh, title of this topic is The Engineering Mind Should We Expect Others to Have It? And that's a loaded question. I can tell you the answer is no. Of course, you shouldn't expect other people to have it. But I want to. I want to present. But you to want you. the answer to be yes. You, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, and and l- let me let me kind of detail this for you. So, uh, okay. So, say you're at your your place of work. Um, who cares what it is you're actually doing? Um, but let's just say some problem in your field arises. Uh, how is that problem addressed? How is that problem fixed? We all have problems that we deal with on a daily basis, right? Uh, I think engineers in general, the engineer mindset, I, I, there's, there's some way to detail it or define it or say it in a better way than the engineer mindset, but let's just run with that right it's now. It's almost like the scientific process. Almost, almost, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the question is like, how are problems fixed? What I have been running into in, in, certain aspects of my life inside and outside of work is that um, just coming to the understanding that um, people, people, first of all, don't have the engineering mindset and people rely on you having the engineer mindset, having an engineer mind. And what I mean by that is when a problem happens, there's sort of a tendency for people to just be like, throw their hands up and say, I don't know, come and fix it. You come and fix it. And, and I kind of want to, give 
perhaps some advice or just some uh, some some thoughts on if you are in your position, if you are presented with a problem that occurs when you're working on something, um, attempt to fix it yourself. Don't just throw your hands up in the air and immediately say, there's someone else who is capable of this, or there's someone else who knows how to do this, or there's someone else who is proficient at this. Um, I'm not trying to get too heavy here, but I, what I'm what I'm kind of um, getting yeah, at is... Because that's a really loaded question, too. Because I have an example that is would be completely counter to that. Well, you don't want people... You don't want anyone fixing anything, right? Because uh, a lot of times... I mean, if, if you just rely on anyone to fix anything, you'll probably end up creating problems, right? Uh, there are people who are trained to fix things. But uh, say something that's happens... Yeah, we'll, we'll say something happens before just throwing your hands in the air and calling the person who you who you think knows the answer to it. Attempt a few things or maybe uh, like try to identify what the issue is before then such that you can speak intelligently about the issue as opposed to just saying thing doesn't work. Make work, you know, like and I'm not trying to to, to be mean to people here or anything like that. But uh, sometimes I, I get called in to fix something or or asked to fix something and uh, and i don't know the answer to things i don't immediately know the solution like i just follow a path uh of uh, try things and half the time that's googling stuff sometimes it's even me writing an email to somebody else who i know has that exact answer uh kind of thing or like oh a machine's not working and i i don't know the answer to it i can contact their support team but you could also contact their support team like you know who they are like so i don't know i'm not trying to dodge any work or anything like that um i guess what i'm what i'm i'm curious about is the engineering mindset where i can or, or where an engineer can sit back look at a problem and kind of devise a way to approach it such that we know what the end result is the end result is we want something fixed and we know what fixed looks like and we know what not fixed looks like because it's staring us right in the face to be able to walk from point a to point b it's is it is it reasonable to expect people to be able to do those kinds of things in their head uh i'm wondering how, i think it depends to on the position for sure for sure for sure yeah uh, and it's funny because I was talking with someone. I was like, who can we expect to do that? And the person I was talking to is like, engineers. That's why we hire engineers. That's why you guys are the guys that do this stuff, you know? <laughs> Could be, yeah. I guess I guess the, 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 the other side of that is if, if you're listening and you're not an engineer, I think that this is a really uh, like fertile ground here in terms of if you're working at your position – these are things that can that you can start to adopt and really like pull yourself away from the rest of the pack. Like say if you're a machine operator that that uh, is, doesn't have the title engineer in front of you, but uh, but your machine breaks down. Well, maybe not try to like hardcore fix your machine, but like try to be really involved in fixing it and come up with solutions to things and see what's wrong with the machine before going to the engineer. And I think that engineer will have a ton of respect for you. If you come up with like, here's what I've seen, what is wrong and here's what it's, it's doing and here's what's different about things. I'm not sure the solution, but I want to be a part of the solution. I think that engineer would freaking love you if you did that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know. 
maybe it's I, maybe it's inherent maybe it's not i don't know i don't think it's inherent it's just different the interesting thing is you and i are very similar kind of engineers how we tackle problems yeah and we are in that kind of position at work my official title is like application engineer which just means everything mm-hmm. <laughs> is what that really means yeah and you're the same thing at that you know, my, my official title is director of operations uh and so like it's my job to make sure that things don't stop working yeah um i will tell you what people don't like if you're an engineer and they ask you a question oh uh, yeah what's that i don't know uh <laughs> that's true you know yeah, that you're I, supposed that, to know. i say that all the time and yeah. people hate me for it yeah you're supposed to know right actually i think that's really unfair it's really unfair to expect your engineer to know things. They're, they're, they're a yeah. human just like you. you they're not going to know the answer. And by the way, all of this co- all this talk here, I'm not trying to make engineers out to be messiahs or these these like God, godlike figures that know everything. People hate it when I say, I don't know. And it's just like, well, I don't know. I can go find it. But it's like, it's, it goes back to that, what you were talking about earlier. It's like, when I say I don't know, usually it's also like, it's also you can go look for that answer yourself by like searching the Google Drive or something right, like that, right, right? Or searching the email chain or something like that. Um, it's kind of a shouldn't talk, say that anymore. Which is don't I shouldn't say I don't know anymore. I should use different words, I guess. But <laughs> I I uh, look at a job. I think it is one hundred percent acceptable to say I don't know if. I don't know is actually the truth. If you don't know, you don't know. Like that's not a problem. The the problem exists with if you're lying about knowing or if you don't follow it up by I don't know, but here's how I can go know. I think that's mm-hmm. that's really important. Uh especially yeah. if your if your boss comes to you and is like, "Hey, what's up with XYZ?" I don't know, but let me go find it for you. I think that's yeah. A totally acceptable answer, but lying about it and saying, "Okay, oh yeah, sure, it's like this, this, this," and then and then you get found out that you're lying about. It. That's stupid. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole thing, but I'll look into it as well. Though you gotta be careful with that re- response, though, because when when you start saying that, you start um, people start realizing that you can just go and find the answer for them as well. It's it's really that like you need to start. What I try to do is start teaching people how to fish. Yeah, I like that. So a better is, especially if it's an answer that you don't know, but you know how to go find it, and it's and it's easy for the other person to go find it. They just they, they might not even know how to go find that answer, but you can tr- teach them to go find that answer in the future. Yeah. And so a lot of times I will bring that person in, and I'll be like, okay, I don't know, and then we're going to go figure it out together. Because then they will never come back to you for that answer again. I, I Yeah, I like that. If someone's like, hey, can you let me know what the stock of inventory is for XYZ part? Well, I don't know that off the top of my head, but you have access to our our server ERP and access system to our or whatever ERP system. Is. If yeah. you don't know how to look it up, let me show you. We can do it together, and then you'll know how to do it from here on out. I, exactly. I think that's, that's totally reasonable and, and really good. Yeah. Or like a lot of times when people are like, hey, can you email me this schematic? Well, they're all available on the server. I can show you where to go find our schematics. And then yep. you never have to ask me where that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's better than saying, uh, but it, it depends on the, on the response, though, because like it could be like, like, 
what's the derivative of blah, 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 big L formula. And you're like, well, I don't know. I, it's, it'd be really hard to go train someone to do that too. <laughs> Teach someone yeah. to, to do that. So it, it really depends on the, on the question at, at hand. Well, and, and I guess, okay. So, so let's take another quick hypothetical situation. Let's say there's a problem. Uh, let's say, yeah. Okay. So let's say there's a problem with your selective solder department at work. Um, and and your selective solder machine is uh, acting up, having having lots of problems, and and not just like some problems, lots of problems. Uh, you know, you, if you're a let's get it done kind of engineer, a guy who's like, I know the end result is I need uh, boards that are soldered. <laughs> I need boards that are so yeah. I need stuff to work. Um, you know, one of the solutions in that situation might be, you know. We need to hire a different team. We need to work uh, out um, better technicians for this. We need to adjust how this is. We need to identify, is this is this machine going to work for us? Do we need to purchase a new machine? How do we purchase a new machine? How do we set that up? How do we uh, make the facility optimized for the workers? And things like like these like all of the all of the pieces start going together as opposed to like oh the machine just doesn't solder like how do i make solder yeah. kind of thing or let's just let, macrofab is actually a great example before you had a selective solder uh anything it was done by hand right well like put an engineer in terms of how do we make this better well there's machines that do this and if we we buy a machine, we hire the right people and we train them up in the right way and give them, you know, this, uh, give them the power that goes with the system behind this. We can create an entire process that works well. Like that kind of mindset. I, I find engineers think that way, but I don't think it's necessarily inherent to engineers. I think, uh, you can, anyone can adopt that kind of mindset. Of, no, I agree. Of, yeah. I don't, that's yeah. what I was saying earlier. I don't think it's, inherent to engineers because i've met i've met engineers that don't that can't do that yeah yeah um so i won't say can't they just they haven't done that yet i guess yeah i guess i guess take this as i like, think it's something that anyone can learn let, let's let's just uh let's take this as an example like i i guess this is upper level management but let's say let's say uh an engineering manager came to you uh, and and had like a gizmo or a widget. Let's say like an aluminum thing, and, and uh, it's it's a piece of aluminum and it's uh, anodized. Okay, and they said, "Hey, look, I want you to make ten thousand of these next year." And you don't have a machine shop. You don't even have a building. You don't have anything. Let's say you have nothing. And he's like, "I want you to make ten thousand of these next year." How do you even approach that? And I, first like, question is, what's my budget? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, there's so many ways to approach that. There's, there, yeah. um, there's like, hey, I can shop it out, but shopping it out requires a lot of um, upfront engineering and making sure that you have people who can, uh, you know, talk with vendors and actually accomplish it. But you have to over your drawings. The other option is, are we going to do this in house? Well, okay, now I need to establish a machine shop. Now I need to hire machinists for this. I need to make sure that my building is set up for whatever machinery we purchase. You know, there's there's just so many different, but being able to think through that entire process uh i in other words i think i think that's such a valuable a, a, a thing to put on your resume let's just put it that way a, val, a really valuable skill to be able to say i don't have something i want something how do i get there 
is uh, just really big. And if you can demonstrate that, gosh, I'd hire you tomorrow if if you can demonstrate those kind of skills to me. So Awesome Blossom in Twitch chat says, and I don't think that gets taught in college, which should be really the starting point to learn that kind of mindset. I actually don't think college is the right spot for that either. I'm just looking at the like, just remembering my curriculum. I don't think of any way that could be like maybe senior design or capstone in your case project. Was it called? Yeah, capstone. Well, we call um, it senior design. <laughs> oh, what was the capstone project then? Nah, I don't know. I, I, Why is that my, my brain? Yeah, I don't think that's at AM. We just called it senior design. Yeah, because that's what I thought. And I'm like, why is Capstone? Anyways, um, the uh, that might be the only way to kind of teach it. But the problem with, with senior design is it's they don't really tell you the endpoint really for those projects either. They're kind of just like, here's a problem. Go, yeah. go have fun. Right. That's about right. it. There's no like end goal because like it's like you know, a year, like half a year research and then half a year of doing it. And a lot of times that's, you know, it's not a full-time job. So you only get a couple hours a week on working on it. Right. So it's like, what can you really accomplish? in basically two ish months of work is what it boils down to. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a, a, uh, good solution to that, at least in college. Really needs to need hands on, like and that's job training. Job training, yeah, because it's not even really like engineering stuff. It's like what you were saying earlier, like a selective solder machine is not working correctly. What are the different paths to solving that problem? Right, and and it and might taking be all the different inputs. Yeah, it might be as simple as oh, this one thing was wrong, fix the machine, or it might be as difficult as we need a whole brand new everything yeah machine yeah right right because we that happened to us in mac was like our selective solder just hobbled along and then that one day we're like well we gotta get a new one now <laughs> well and, and, you know actually and and even more difficult is let's say you have a selective solder machine that is working and doing stuff but the uh, ceo of the company comes up and says hey next year we're planning on 6x growth in all of our stuff now you have a problem is, is that selective solder machine, even though it's working, is it going to cut it? Yeah, now, how do you solve that problem? Because it's a problem that isn't really even a problem, but it will be a problem, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, a, I've been thinking about this recently. Like, how do you hire a team of people that have the mindset of, being able to ingest information and come up with paths towards solutions. And does that mean that you kind of have to turn towards engineers for that? And maybe. I would say more engineers. Well, it's also because the people I know too, so this is a huge bias, but because I know more engineers than non-engineers. Sure. But we talked most, to a few thousand each week. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just saying it's just the people I've met too. Yeah, Most yeah, of them yeah. are engineers or of interestingly of this mindset too. Like they are, you know, they they know how to traverse the A to B. Yeah. With a problem. You know, at the same time, there could very easily be 
a, uh, a a different podcast with two salespeople who are sitting there being like, well, engineers just don't get it. They don't have the sales mind. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to get someone excited about something. And there's another podcast of business guys out there who are like, you know, these salespeople and these engineers have no idea how to create a plan that, that drives the company forward. So yeah, perhaps I'm just being a little uh, no myopic <laughs> with my view. Yeah, I mean, tribalism is real, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we're human nature is is that way. I just think that's a lot of that's a lot of area for growth. If you uh, say if you are somebody in a company that is working that is not in the engineering team or whatnot, I know there can be a lot of elitism in the engineering team, and most of the time, like that's worth just ignoring whatsoever. But I think there's a lot of things to learn from the engineering team at the same time, in, in terms of uh, being somebody who's reliable at solving issues, uh, especially. Mm-hmm. And I know this is goofy, but especially not being the person who raises their hand and causes the engineering team to come and solve your problem for you. It's not even just raising your hand, but like explaining the problem really well mm-hmm. Yeah, is worth its weight in gold. For sure. Um, that, that like, like in, in video game logic is like game testers game. You can just say game. Te- like when you were a kid, you're like, I want to grow up to be a game tester because I can just play video games all day. No, you get to fill out bug reports all day. All day. <laughs> all yeah. day. And so a a bug reporter or a game tester, I guess, doesn't they're not a developer, they're not coding, but they're really good at explaining the problem and how to replicate the problem, mm. which gives the developer one, they can just do what it says on the sheet to replicate the problem so they can fix it. Yeah, that's super valuable, right? Um, yeah, if if um, replicating is is like half of fixing things, right? It is, especially, yeah, especially the- with RMAs. I get RMAs in all the time, and it's like it doesn't do what you said it does. Yeah, but the moon's got to be at the right, right phase. Yeah, and your tongue's at the right angle, right? <laughs> <laughs> your tongue is at three o'clock, and you're squinting, and you turn the knob three quarters to the left it does this yep yep but only when you're you have no idea how often that happens (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah replication is yeah you're right though it's like half the time when i'm trying to fix something i'm like i gotta get this thing to break again (laughs) (laughs) oh i hate that i hate that so much actually so if you're in the repair business now we're really tangenting but if you're in the repair business one of the worst things is um Sometimes you have to fix the problem to find the solution to the problem. The, uh, like you, yeah. you try something and then you fixed it. And now you're like, how do I quote the customer the job? Do I quote them and I really, really hope that they accept the quote? And then if they don't accept the quote, do I break it? Do I bring it back <laughs> to where it was? Like, because it's already fixed, right? It's it's tough. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a rough one. That's a, that's a big moral quandary there yeah see that's what the that's what the business people are for though because they don't have morals <laughs> they don't have a soul <laughs> don't worry don't <laughs> actually yeah no yeah the the um yeah the the business guys would would find some way to make money off of that actually the the the, the, the I mean, hardest, that's their job though is yeah, that it is so. it, to- it totally is and we need people like that i'm, I'm you know yeah uh, the, the, you know the hardest repairs for me were people who would bring in equipment and I, and i i was very clear with them 
I have a diagnostics fee and I might find that a fuse blew uh, and I would replace the fuse and their stuff would work. And 99% of the time that was because their fuse was 30 years old and it just, it popped because it was old, right? The fuse it was old and worn out. Yeah. yeah old and it's worn riding out. right up close. It's amperage limit for 30 years. Right. And yeah, I would have to LCD. charge them a bench fee because you, you're not paying for the fuse. You're paying for me to look at it. Uh, yep. And, and that's, but it, but that also feels really bad. I'm like, man, I should just let you go for like five bucks. But no, sorry. Like you agreed to the fee. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. If it was, if it was that simple, they would have done it themselves. Good point. So that's, so, how, you get, that's how I get around that issue with when I fix someone's car or something. Well, there's, you know, there's that whole joke about like a guy like looks at a machine for, you know, five minutes. Uh, like you hire this guy to come in. He, he looks at your machine, your big expensive machine. And he, he pulls out a little hammer and just taps it in one place. And then the machine starts working and he charges you a thousand bucks for the, the 10 minutes he was there. And, uh, and you say, Hey, all you did was hit it with the machine. And he's like, yeah, it was $10 to hit it with the with the machine it was $990 for what's in my head to know where to hit it. Yeah. So speaking of uh of blown fuses, you've got some uh some stuff on blown fuses, right? Oh, yeah, so this is a recap or revisit from the melted fuse holder incident that happened on my wagon <laughs> incident. Was it 2 <laughs> months ago now? Something like that. Yeah, 2 months ago sounds right. Um so basically what happened was the uh, fuse holder for my electric fan set up on my Jeep Wagoneer um, melted. The holder itself melted. Like the fuse was actually fine inside the holder. It was melted and it melted on the unprotected side of the fuse, which is like what you don't want it to happen because basically if that shorted out to the chassis, it would have a four gauge wire. It would well of <laughs> like 800 amps going through a four gauge wire and it probably would have it probably would have just melted the insulation off and caught fire and probably wanting to burn the Jeep down, but would not have been fun to be stuck on the side of the road. Um, so anyways, we were talking about it and uh, engineer Bob from our Slack and Twitch chat uh, mentioned that um, they bought the same kind of fuse holders. Cause like I, uh, he, uh, engineer Bob said they bought some on Amazon and I'm like, what's the link? Oh, those are the same ones I bought. And so Engineer Bob took it apart and then photographed it. And basically what we found out is it's probably not a bad crimp because we thought it was a bad crimp inside the fuse holder, inside the molding where the wires go in. And then they get crimped to like spade connectors, basically, or flag connectors um, where the fuse plugs into. It was the blade receptacle itself is probably flawed for high current because it's it's rated at like 30 amps and it's got 14 gauge wire on it, which can handle like 50 uh, chassis wiring style, um, you know, short runs. Um, but the, the receptacle inside is just flimsy brass. And so it doesn't have the contact retainment force to basically push on the blade and, and dig in and dig in and, and allow high current to, flow through or if it was okay at the beginning the connection is loose enough to where moisture can get actually in between the connection and start to corrode i didn't really see any corrosion on mine but granted it was pretty charred um so we set out to find a solution to this because 
when you go online to find fuse holders, you cannot find a legit good fuse holder. Like everything's like a copy of a copy and they all probably come from like one big factory in China. So did some searching around and I found that Delphi, which is not Delphi anymore. They got bought by Altvia, Altva. Right, I'm going to make sure I get this right. Should have wrote it down. But Delphi got by Aptiv. Hmm. I think it's A-P-T-I-V. Um, I think they just changed their name because whenever you see, like, when you search Delphi, it says, like, Aptive, formerly Delphi. Ah, oh, got it. Um, so I think they just changed their name or something like that. Um, but Delphi makes a fuse holder setup based off their MetriPak uh, system, which is, like, the weather pack, like, automotive connectors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has real terminals, like, steel terminals that are, like, tin-plated. Oh wow! I'm looking at the uh, the pricing on these. I was I was expecting quite a bit more. No, no, not they're that like the expensive. same price as a off shelf one that you would normally buy. Yeah. Now you got to assemble it yourself and crimp it, but that's actually I would prefer that. That way you don't have to make a wire splice right. in your harness. Yeah, but and basically, you get to know that the crimp is good. Yeah, you get to know that the crimp is good, but you're also using real terminals that have retainment force, and they actually have like a a amperage rating. And all that good stuff. But so they make a a series connector that um, works with a, with a uh, ATC automotive fuse. And you get one of those. And then you get some terminals depending on what gauge wire you're running. And you're done. Oh, man. They even provide 3D files on from their website. You can get the oh, IGS yeah. files. That's awesome. And what I really like is the cover they have for it. Um, actually has a little tab on it, mounting tab, so you can mount the fuse somewhere. Hmm. Um, so that's the... I'll, I'll post it into the podcast notes because there's like a lot of part numbers. But what you're looking for is like the Metripack 630 series fuse connector. That and an example part number is, awesome. is like 12066681. And then there's part numbers for the terminals and all that good stuff. Okay, this is just like a really beefy version of what you had. It's beefy, but it actually has like specifications that you can like look up. You can hang your hat on. Yeah, it's like terminals. They have this many insertion forces. Like this is the insertion force. This is how many uh, uh, cycles they can handle. All that stuff. Whereas when you buy a fuse holder on Amazon or eBay or whatever, you, you don't know that. Right. And these are honestly not that much more expensive or actually the same price. Because I think you still pay two bucks for like a fuse holder. And these are waterproof, right? I mean, the other ones are too, right? Yeah, they, they're waterproof. These are they have like a little too. rubber boot or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say splash proof is probably more adequate than waterproof. <laughs> oh, yeah. IP5 something? Four or something? I yeah, something like that. They also call them like weather pack. Because they're they're the they're, they're weather resistant. Max current forty six amps. Yeah, that's <laughs> <tough>. beefy. <laughs> well, because they have prop, it's a proper um, steel terminal in there, right? And I get oh, so they have, I guess, three different flavors based off of your um, wire gauge. Wire gauge, yeah, anywhere from ten to twenty uh, gauge. 
Cool. Yeah. And I bet you they probably have different terminals if you need a different coating on them, too. I think those are, are just tin plated. Um, but I bet you they make because uh, I know it's, it's uh, not Delphi anymore, but you got to um, get gold plated for your car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gold plated. <laughs> yeah, this uh, it looks like these crimps are tin. Yeah, I think those are tin, but you can probably get any any flavor of coating you want on those terminals. But the good thing is that they're they're steel. So okay, so you're replacing uh, your the uh, the monstrosity you had in your Jeep with this, right? Yeah, yeah. I ordered those parts a couple days ago. What the, what gauge wire are, are do you have on the two? Fourteen. Okay. Yeah. That is cool. And so I'm I'm sort of. I've just been looking through these. Where does the fuse sit in them? Is it like internal to the connector? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I see it. It kind of plugs in the end part over here. Yeah, it plugs into the end of it. That is neat. What is that uh, little, like, it's almost like a <laughs> like a belt clip it, sort of tine that hangs off. I guess that just connects to the other side. Let me see. Which part are you looking at? Uh, the very first. Oh, yeah. That's a that, yeah. That plugs into the uh, so the um, it's got a cap. Oh, the cap that goes over the fuse. And so this snaps yeah, onto okay. the cap. Yeah. Okay. So you actually have a positive retention on the cap too. Right. Okay. And then and then the rubber boots around the bottom between the cap and this connector. That's Correct. what makes the seal. That's cool. Um, and then both both your wires just come out the the back end of it yes nice yeah so i ordered some of those parts unfortunately mauser has his whole out of stocks so i'd order them from i think i ordered from waytech which is like a uh, big online automotive boating supplier yeah i like them a lot yeah, th- this is this is so typical now like i look at this and i'm not even surprised like right now i'm looking at a part on mauser and, and it says zero in stock it's like oh on order when is the next thing available and it says 6 1 2022 and i'm like huh that's not bad and like <laughs> oh no you know like I'm, I'm so used to it now it's just like six <sighs> month lead time all right uh, that's more than six month lead time that's eight month lead time eight months yeah uh so it's just like oh, okay cool yeah i'm used to this kind of thing <laughs> That's yeah, it's rough. It's a connector. The good thing is, I think uh, it, you can get that at other distributors, so it's yeah, not yeah, like it's too you bad. Can, you can go for, for some it. reason. Mauser's out of stock on them, but Mauser's typically actually doesn't really carry too much of Delphi stuff. Um, or if they do, it's out of stock a lot. Hey, it's uh, Aptiv formerly. Aptiv, yeah, you're right. It's Aptiv. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. And the body's made of nylon, so. Yeah, high temperature. And it's like uh, self-extinguishing, too. It's got a UL number, all that good stuff. Like, again, it's like it has all the credentials and it has all the ratings. And you can just look it up. And it's like, oh, this is what I need in my life. It's just not some <laughs> random rubber part from Amazon, right? That you buy and then you hope is good. And then your yes. Jeep's on fire. Yeah. Or, or your Jeep fire. is almost on fire. Yeah. I got really lucky. that day. You got super lucky, dude. That would That would have sucked. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a reason why. If you're listening out there and you have project cars, put a fire extinguisher in your car. Actually, honestly, if just if you just drive, 
put a fire extinguisher in your car. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, and get one of the um you can't buy Halon anymore, but there's an equivalent now. Um buy one of those. Don't buy don't put a regular like ABC chemical because the moment you spray that on anything in your car, it's going to corrode it. So like because a lot of times cars have either it's caused by an electrical fire or oil. And so you spray it on your engine and it's going to eat all the wiring on your engine. Right. So you you're might causing, put the fire you're out. causing a lot of problems. Well, you might put the fire out, but then your entire car is total because you have to need a new wiring harness. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, and you can't buy, well, you can buy Hylons, but not normal people can't because I think it's considered a <laughs> normal people. <laughs> um, there's some reason why you can't buy it. Um, I, it might be like a, a regulation thing. Well, it is because it's harmful to, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, they're not cheap either. Halons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can, what this this episode's turning into a lot of like look stuff up on online. <laughs> oh, Halon has a uh, extremely high potential for ozone depletion. That's it. Yeah, it's harmful to ozone. But you can get a a thing's called Halotron, which is like an equivalent. Halotron, that's great. Um, but uh, oh, unavailable now. Anyways, get like a five pounder. Um. Halotron or equivalent of that because anything under five pounds, you're not going to put the fire out. Um, so you need a five pounders like the minimal. And then, you know, it's going to, it's going to be like 260 bucks, but it's going to save your, it's going to save something someday. Yeah. That's not cheap. Yeah. Nope. A five pound from Uline is $360. Is that a Halotron? Yeah. Yeah, you can get a Buckeye Halotron on on uh, Amazon for what two fifty, two twelve, two twelve. Yeah, yikes! Actually, no. This is this. Yeah, this is the one I have in my Jeep. No, my red Jeep. I have a ten pounder, and then my wagon. I have a five pounder. Yeah, just in case. You never know, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If if something did happen, then two hundred and twenty bucks is nothing. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, and since I go camping out, I do keep an ABC for camping, though. Yeah. But that's like 15 pounder because you're trying to put out a brush fire. <laughs> you need all you need. <laughs> I actually uh, I keep an ABC hanging on my um, beer brewing rig. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Just in case, you know, like it's it's still Steve Craig wired 220, 50 amps. At least it's not in the post office box anymore. <laughs> hey, the that, what, that was that was a test and it was that a was successful test. Might be the sketchiest thing ever done on this podcast. Maybe. I don't know. We've done sketchy stuff. Yeah, that, that, yeah it's up there, though. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that would that was up there. Yeah. It was fun. We got beer out of it. You got beer out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went over your house to brew that day too. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that was. We went over to your house to. Uh, it was your apartment. We went to your apartment to brew, but that was also we did the podcast with. That was the first time we did the podcast with Chris Gamble. No, uh, was it? Yeah. Okay. So we recorded a podcast on on that and then couch. brewed beer. <laughs> yeah. And then brewed beer. Yeah. That was fun. That was a long day. <laughs> I think it was a Friday. 
if Dude. if you uh, well not if the next time you come up here, I'm gonna we're gonna wheel the rig out into the backyard and we're gonna brew us a batch. We're gonna make have sure a, nothing a catches good, on fire. Yeah, good good beer day. Yeah. So okay, so so I've got some uh, some parts that I want to share too. Um, so if, I I didn't start using these parts until about I don't know a handful of years ago, and now I've been using them. They're they're in almost everything I I do now. Uh, they're not particularly special, but if you're not aware of them, like this is a good chance to go and take a look. So the uh, the DG series analog switches. Uh, so these ICs are analog switches that um, generally run high voltage, high voltage being about 44 volts. So they're they're bidirectional switches that you can pick basically whatever flavor of switch you want. So there there's however many channels, typically one to eight channels, uh, but you can get DPDT, DPST, SPDT, SPST. You can get any almost any kind of switch, all bidirectional, and they're they're uh, they're full. They accept full analog signal uh, up to you know forty four volts. But they're all controllable with TTL logic. So you can, for the most part, plug them directly into whatever micro you have, and you can steer uh, your signals regardless of, basically regardless of the signal, unless it's just like some really high high speed signal. You can steer them wherever you want in your circuit. So they become, in, in a lot of the circuits that I've been working with, they become really invaluable. Because one of the nice things about having an analog switch IC is is being able to place the IC really close to where it needs to be to be able to switch things. An ideal, uh, the ideal spot where you need to switch the signals. Yeah. And then run your switch to the panel. Exactly. Exactly. And it allows you to, to honestly, to, to put uh, less expensive mechanical items on your front panel and have them just control really, really low voltage, really low current digital signals that go over to these analog switches that do all the magic right at the analog section. Because I like to keep my analog stuff as compact as possible and in one location as possible. So I put these DG switches in my analog portion and then just use mechanical switches to do things. It also opens up the ability such that you can... um, you can have mechanical switches that are really simple on your front panel do multiple functions. Whereas uh, if you didn't do that and you had to send signals to your front panel, you, you end up buying really expensive switches in order to do multiple functions at the same time. Uh, but these these uh, DG switches are awesome. Um, so, so Snoopy DJ in the chat is asking, would they distort audio at all? And uh, the answer is... Uh, you know, if you're if you're trying to do like hi-fi audio, I, I'm, maybe someone would complain about something like these. I don't believe that uh, there is a significant amount of distortion in these. I haven't noticed them, but my application uh, typically doesn't um, require like immaculate distortion specifications. So you know, you're keep, trying keep that to in distort mind. it. Well, not really trying to distort <laughs> it, but like a- any distortion can be chalked up to character i guess you could say like it gives it gives our stuff more flavor but uh so i i wouldn't use these in like super hyper critical like if you need an absolute voltage i wouldn't use something like this uh mainly because these switches tend to have uh non-zero uh uh, impedance in between so you can expect 
uh, like on a really good switch you might get like 10 ohms but on like the regular dg switches that you're seeing i've seen like 100 ohms 150 ohms it's saying I've that these are at least i've looked up uh like this is the dgq 27aaa has an on a 0.37 ohm the, yeah and that's that's really fantastic but it's also that one's probably a little bit more expensive it probably is more expensive yeah most of the stuff that i use is closer to the 100 ohm range and i just account for that if say if i'm if i'm using this to switch whatever source goes into like an op amp or something if i need it to be more accurate i'll take that into account but i i'm usually not using these switches to to switch things that have really critical amplitudes on them i'm switching audio signals and things like that where yeah. uh it's it's not a big already processed audio or going to be processed audio. It's not like in a feedback loop or anything like that. Well, and I have used them in feedback loops and they work pretty well there too. Um, as long as you just don't care about the absolute of the feedback, you know, like if, if yeah, it's cha- yeah, sure. like you could use one of these, honestly, you could use one of these in a feedback loop and have like four discrete levels of feedback or eight discrete yeah, levels of yeah. feedback and then have some kind of uh, actually a, this is a great example of of what you could do with that. Say you have a uh, an inexpensive rotary encoder on your front panel. Send the rotary encoder to a micro. Have the micro uh, talk to one of these DG switches and change feedback levels on an op amp in your analog section. Yeah, and what change nice the gain like, state? You can basically change your gain really easily, super easily, and you're not having to send a feedback signal all the way through connectors up to your front panel and back. Uh, so it's, it's a hell of a lot better for your signal integrity. So yeah, uh, if you go, if you go to one of the big players and search for Vichy DG or even just DG analog switches, there's a ton available out there. Um, you know, I saw, I saw a really cool, uh, uh, example, a circuit the other day that had, uh, it had a four channel analog mux basically. Uh, so four in, one out. It's bi-directional, but it was basically four in, one out is what they were looking at. And um, so so this one person used some flip-flops with a clock signal to be able to cycle through all four of the signals. And they, and they took the output of the analog switch to an A to D on their processor, and they took the clock signal to their their processor. And they were able to channel sweep with one A to D and one of these uh dg switches so it was it was hmm. they had fewer pins on their processor and it was just a nice way to do channel sweeping on that uh and reading through so there's a lot of really cool applications for this and i i see a lot of like diy projects out there that are doing things like sending signals all the way to a switch and then sending it all the way back and things and that's a great example where it's like you could buy a cheaper switch and just put one of these dg analog switches in your circuit to do the exact same thing and it would work probably better probably much better actually yeah yeah cool wow 51 minutes yeah we'll save my next topic for next time sounds good which is a very tasty usb type c connector Ooh. which we'll probably only talk like five minutes of but that would be a cliffhanger for this week <laughs> five minutes or 30 however yeah. it works out however it works out so that was hang on Mac hang on oh, before wait, we leave on? don't you have a stream going on coming up here soon oh yeah well we usually do that at the beginning for some reason we just we just tangented right into the podcast we, we just blitzed right past it yeah. <laughs> so this weekend coming up november 6th 2021 
Um, I'm doing my 20, my yearly 24 hour video game stream for the extra life charity, which benefits the Texas children hospitals, uh, here in Texas. Um, last year, um, I, I did the same thing and I was able to raise like, I think it was like $2,500 or something like that. Um, so this year I'm going for 5,000, double that. Um, you can donate, uh, through my extra life channel. It's like extra hyphen life.org slash participant slash four, six, three, zero, zero, seven, or just go to the blog and click the link. Um, if you don't want to donate, but still want to participate and hang out, um, just come out to the Twitch channel. And for, it's not going to be the Mac crab Twitch channel. It's going to be my personal one, which is twitch.tv slash crab foam. That's C R A B F O A M. And uh, I'm going to start playing at eight o'clock on Saturday on November 6th. And then I play until November 7th. And that's actually daylight savings as well. So I actually probably be gaming for 25 hours. Ah, so uh, that's you're starting November 6th at 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that way when like 8 a.m. rolls rolls around on Sunday, I just like go to bed and like wake up at like 6 p.m. Right. Or a couple hours and go back to bed again. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we will drop a link into Slack um, and it'll be on Twitter and all that good stuff. Just another reason to join our Slack channel so you can get these links, these yeah. hot links. <laughs> um, and so this year I'm going to be playing, um, I think we decided on uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I'm going to try to beat it in 24 slash, excuse me, five hours. So it's going to be interesting. I've never tried to... Sp- quote speed run this game i'm not going to try to actually speed run it but like it's gonna be like we're gonna be moving so so you you got four days until this hoorah happens it's actually uh, three hour three days and 16 hours something like that now. okay so not not even four so yeah so the uh the, the do you know like can you just beat zelda right now in your head or are you gonna have to like remember how to do it I'm gonna to have to remember how to beat it. Okay. Um, I've beaten the do game a, a couple times beforehand. I've beaten the game a couple times before, and I've beaten the what they call the master quest version a couple times. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I know the general order of like to do things and where things like the key items are located. Right. Um, like, we probably won't go for like the extra stuff. Oh sure. Well, also, you're playing a game that like. It's a gamer's game. Like every gamer has played this. So if you ever need to know something, you could probably just turn to the chat and be like, guys, where is this? And they'd be like, right yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't have that much of that. Um, but yeah, it's not like, um, so last year I played Half-Life 2, uh, the whole whole series of that, those games. Those are like, I can almost do that in my sleep. Yeah. And I actually, so there's a rule last year and I, I carried the rule for this year which is if i die in the game you die in um, real life <laughs> i have to take a, i have to take a drink okay. i have to either drink a whole beer or take a shot oh wow and so i don't want too many of those early in half-life in half-life 2 i didn't die at all <laughs> well and, and to be honest zelda is is uh ocarina of time isn't particularly difficult no i i bet you i will die though because there's yeah, maybe once or twice yeah. Cool. Well, we'll, we will all tune in. Yeah, I hope so. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
Oh, and then like, I think for like lunch that sat, or I guess, uh, for dinner on that Saturday, I'm going to cook a pizza by scratch. I'm going to stream that as well. <laughs> don't know how exactly I'm going to stream that yet, but I'll figure it out. If you kill the pizza, you have to take a shot. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to make the pizza by scratch and then, and stream that, uh, the pizza making. So that'll be fun. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, it's one of those like I have to make sure I'm like pro gamer. But it's like you know. how how many RGBs do you have on the wall behind you? None. Ah, not pro gamer. Not pro gamer enough. Yeah, mm. it's got your room's got to be like neon, 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 <laughs> pulsating. <laughs> yeah, pulsating between blue and purple. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, that was. Are we we done? Then we're done. The MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. <laughs>